Hello and welcome to the Series Learns podcast hosted by Series Unified School District Superintendent Dr. Scott Siegel. This monthly Q&A addresses topics related to education and their impact on Series students, families, and staff. To ask a question for a future episode, email communications at series.k12.ca.us. Now your host, Dr. Scott Siegel. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Episode 2 of Series Learns. Today, I have with me Dr. Amy Peterman from Educational Services, who's going to talk to us about a resolution the board recently adopted having to do with grading during distance learning. Amy, what was the driving force behind the need to make this change? Well, last spring, when schools closed in March, the state of California came out with some guidance that encouraged school districts to hold students harmless when it came to grades. What that resulted in was the board adopting a resolution to forego giving grades for grades K through 8 and to ensure that high school students' grades from the third quarter could not drop as a result from learning at home. That was a policy that was necessary at the time because we were in crisis mode, but we knew entering this year we wanted things to be a bit different for distance learning. We wanted to be able to ensure that our students were held accountable for the work that they could do, but also understand that there needed to be some flexibility with things. So, Amy, how are grades going for students this semester? To be honest, Dr. Siegel, our students are really struggling. When we pulled progress report data at the mid-first quarter mark, it was very apparent that our students' grades were much lower than last year. For example, at our high schools, last year approximately 20% of student grades were Ds and Fs. This year, that number increased to 30%. That amounts to a crisis for our students Their futures are at stake when it comes to grades and passing their classes, and it is important that we look at that and develop a policy to help support them through this difficult time. Thank you. That sounds like a very serious situation. How did you go about developing this new policy? So at the onset of this school year, the team in Ed Services knew that we needed to develop something that would work for distance learning. We also knew that it was important to have teacher voice in that development. So we assembled a grading policy design team that resulted in a group of 18 individuals coming together to do some work around development of a grading policy. 13 of those 18 members are teachers. So we had a nice variety from elementary teachers through secondary teachers We had a few instructional coaches as part of the work. An intervention teacher was a very well-rounded group of people at the table having these conversations. I know that your committee worked very quickly to come up with some recommendations or guidelines for the board. Can you give us kind of a rundown of the major principles that you came up with? Yes, absolutely. After some initial discussion and doing some research, Essentially, we came up with four critical shifts in grading that was the focus of the majority of our work. So we knew we wanted whatever policy that was developed to focus on measuring student learning. We knew we wanted to have policies that provide clarity for students and parents. 
We knew that we wanted to build in opportunities for recovery for students. And then the last shift was we wanted to ensure that whatever we came up with, we had built in supports and systems for teachers to help them with the transition to the new policy. So I'm going to delve into a few of these in more detail. When you say you want grades to measure student learning, what sorts of things have we seen where grades do not measure students' learning? That's a great question. Oftentimes, different skills that students have or lack creep their way into students' grades. So for example, if a student is not participating in a lesson or completing an assignment, that's not exactly an assessment of whether or not the student has learned the material or the curriculum. Things like attendance and behavior oftentimes are reflected in grades. And it really muddies the waters when trying to communicate clearly with students and parents about their learning. So figuring out how to take those things out of the grade and communicate them in different ways to students and parents is a critical shift. Reflecting back to the last millennium when I was in the classroom, the policy I had where I would ask students to turn in the signed class syllabus and give them class grade for that, that seems like one of the example possibly of what you're talking about where it has nothing to do with whether a student has learned or not. I know when I was teaching, one of the big controversies we had was how much should the homework grade count for student grade and how much should tests count? We had some really good conversation in our design team about that. Homework is really an opportunity for students to practice the things that they're learning in class. If homework is a large part of a student's grade, it really isn't an accurate reflection of what they've learned after they've had the opportunity to practice and go into a more performance-based assessment. So if teachers can look at making that homework grade worth less as far as its contribution to the overall grade, it will increase the accuracy of whether or not students have learned the material. I know another big area that you wrestled with and that I have some strong opinions about, which I may express after we talk for a bit, is about students recovering grades. Give me an idea or give our listeners an idea of what you mean by that, please. There are really two elements that came to light when we talked about recovery in our team. The first was about offering students an opportunity to retake or redo assignments that maybe they don't do well on the first time. And that can present challenges for teachers and for students. So we talked about ways that teachers could embed multiple opportunities for students to demonstrate their learning over time or even go back and retake an assessment they didn't do well on. So there's a number of ways that teachers can do that. The other big part of the conversation, though, was about grading scale. And all of us probably growing up remember the traditional grading scale that teachers have used for 100 years, and that's the 0 to 100 scale. And if you look at how that scale is divided for each of the grades, when you get to the F range, you see that the 0 to 59% comprises the F range, as opposed to the 10% ranges for the other four grade levels. So it makes it really, really difficult, if not impossible, for students who don't get a good grade on something or who don't do an assignment, you know, and, and it might be just a bad choice that they've made, especially during this distance learning time. 
but it shouldn't be nearly impossible for them to then get a passing grade as they move through the course. I want to spend some time talking about the scale business. I'm going to start by asking you a question that you'll give me a quick answer to. Let's pretend we have a student in a class and the class only has two grades for the semester to determine the student's grade. And the two assignments are equally weighted. One assignment the student got a C on, demonstrated reasonable proficiency. The other assignment the student did not do and got a zero, an F. So a student has a C and an F. What should the student's semester grade be? The grade would be a D. Except that on the traditional grading scale, there's actually no way for a student on a two-assignment grade, one they didn't turn in, to get a passing grade. And here's why. A zero plus a 75, which is a C, is not enough points when you average it out to hit 60%. In order to get a passing grade of a D minus in that situation, the student would need to score 120% on the second assignment. There is no way to do that. That's over 100%. So there's clearly an issue here. I think most listeners would agree that in that situation, a D would be an appropriate grade. But the current scale does not allow that. So I'm going to go off here and just say that as a former math teacher and a teacher for many years prior to becoming an administrator, I used that scale. And I used that scale because it was a scale we always used. I didn't use it because it made sense or because it was mathematically correct. I used it because it was what we used. But I do not know of any natural law that says that 60% is a passing grade. I don't know that there's a commandment etched on a tablet somewhere that says thou shalt give a passing grade at 60%. It is something that we've just arbitrarily done, and because we've always done it that way, we continue to do it. It makes no sense. The colleges and high schools, when they're averaging grade point averages, use a four-point scale. And a D is the average of a C and an F on that four-point scale. It's much more sensible. So with that in mind, what did your committee develop in terms of grading scales for teachers? Part of the conversation was focused on the fact that we've already started this year. So when we're asking teachers to change their grading scale, we wanted to acknowledge that that could be a bit of a transition for them midstream. So we wanted to build in some choice and we ended up coming up with three options that teachers can adopt. The first is similar to the grading scale that you just mentioned, the 0 to 100, but it is really moving the very bottom of that scale to a 50%. So instead of a missing assignment receiving a 0 in the gradebook and making it impossible for a student to raise their grade, the lowest score that a student can get is a 50%. That's the lowest F in the scale. So using that scale, then the example I gave earlier of a student with a zero or an unturned in assignment, an F, and a C would now get a 50% and a 70, 75%, averaging those together would get them into the 60% range and get us the D where we intend it to be. Yes, that's correct. The The student's grade would be a D in that instance. And I, I think what we need to remember is that if a student gets a D in a course, It's not indicating that that student is proficient. It's not indicating that that student has mastered the content of that class. It's not even a high enough grade to make them eligible for a four-year college. It does give them credit so that they can pass the class and work toward a high school diploma. But I think that we need to remember that a D is not a ringing endorsement of their learning. Very true. That is a very good point. 
What are the other scales that are available for teachers? The second option for teachers is to use a four-point scale. So we essentially duplicated the way that GPAs are calculated and added that as a grading scale in Infinite Campus. So what that does is allow a teacher to convert the letter grade that was given on the assignment or test to a four-point scale. So it allows teachers to still give a zero for missing assignments, but not have it be so detrimental to have a forever impact on the student's grade. So that would mean that uh, F would be a zero, a one would be a D, C is two, three is B, and four is A, just like with GPA calculations. I know there's one other option that's available. Can you please describe that one? Sure. The third option is really intended for teachers who are already using something called standards-based grading. And there's a lot that goes into standards-based grading, but essentially what it is is a grading system that teachers use a rubric-type scale or a rubric-type score to assess student learning There are very clear delineations from one level to the next, and we have a lot of teachers in our district already using elements from standards-based grading, and we didn't want this policy to undo the work that they've been doing because standards-based grading does all of the things that we talked about earlier. It accurately measures student learning. It's clear. It allows for recovery. So we wanted to support the teachers that are already doing this work. And I know that those standard-based rubric scales have a lot of variation to them, and they're basically a scale, so a number range would be assigned to each grade level. It actually has nothing at all to do with percentages and can vary, as I said, greatly between classes and even assignments. So we can't have time to get into all the different permutations of that. Moving on then, when does this policy take effect? The board adopted the policy at the October 8th meeting, which is actually just a few days before the beginning of the second quarter for many of our schools. But the language in the policy indicates that teachers must start using one of the three scales at the beginning of the next grading period. So for some schools, that's second quarter, for some, that's second trimester, and for some, that's second semester. So we will be providing support for teachers over the next weeks and months so that they're ready to make that transition when that new grading period starts. For high schools, because they're not required to start until second semester, we are hoping that many teachers will choose to make this transition now. Official grades for our students will post in December, and I talked about the progress report data earlier. Many of our students are struggling with distance learning. This is hard, and we want to try to support as many students as possible so that they can have a fighting chance for a passing grade at the end of this semester. Thank you, Amy. One thing I wanted our listeners to know about is that This policy has to comply with ed code, and ed code allows teachers to assign grades, and the district cannot change those grades. So essentially, this policy does not prevent a teacher from assigning whatever grade they believe the student has earned on any assignment. And on the outcome, if they don't believe that the final grade that the system produces, regardless of which of the three options they choose, accurately reflects the student's learning, then they are able to change the final grade. So for example, if a student has a D according to the grading system, but the teacher really believes that student is actually doing C-level work, the teacher could change that grade up to a C. Likewise, 
they don't believe that the student's grade of a D reflects enough understanding to pass the class, then they can change that grade down to an F. The only caveat is the teacher must be able to explain and defend that reasoning to parents or students should they question that decision. The other issue I want our listeners to be aware of is that we will be considering whether this policy is worth extending to beyond just distance learning, as the issues that were raised by this committee, I think, transcend distance learning and are applicable to all times. So that consideration will be happening this spring and whether this policy should be continued forward uh, into future years. So as we wrap up, I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Amy Peterman. I also want to thank the teachers and parents who served on our committee and who gave input and consideration to this policy change. I also am appreciative of all the work that all of our staff and students and families are doing during these difficult distance learning days. I'm looking forward to a time when our students are back with us. That is all for this episode, and I look forward to our next podcast. Podcast.